0: These words, get behind me, Satan, were said in a very important, very specific location in the land of Israel. It is in the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, there were several Caesareas in the Roman Empire. Caesarea, Caesarea it's a city named after Caesar, basically, Caesarea. And uh, in the land of Israel, there were two of them. There was Caesarea by the sea, which was in Latin called Caesarea Maritima. And there was Caesarea Philippi, which is originally a city that Herod the Great built. But later on, his son turned it into the capital of that region and thus added his name to the city name Caesarea. And it became Caesarea Philippi. And in that region, uh, there was also that cave that you see on on the left side of the picture and all the other pagan altars that were there. Now, this is a 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee location on a mass water supply that feeds the Jordan. This is where water comes out of the ground from the melting snows of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is like a sponge. And water falls, as whether it's snow or rain, and goes through that mountain and eventually pops out of the ground. And uh, this is why we call it the Hermon Spring also. And originally, in the third century before Christ, when the Greek arrived, the water would come out of the cave, out of the mouth of the cave. So the Greek were so amazed at the beauty and the majesty of this area, and they decided, that this place will be the place of worship of their deity that they call Pan, and they named it Panias. Originally, it was called Baal Hermon, where Baal was worshipped, but then Panias Panias was this location of Pan, the, the worship of Pan, who was half a goat, half a man. The upper part was goat, the face. and 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 so it's very interesting because if you really think about it, you look all around satanic symbols, satanic worship, what do you see? A figure of a goat head all over. And um, they used to throw animal sacrifices into that cave. And if blood came out, then he rejected. If nothing came out, then he accepted. They were terrified of that god. That's why the word panic came to the world from Pan. And um, <clears throat> it's often depicted uh, playing the flute also. And the city's modern name, Banias, or the region Banias, is from the Arabic uh, corruption of Panias. Arabs have a hard time pronouncing P. They turn into B. Like Bamela, Pamela, Bamela, Beta bread, pita bread. <laughs> and so Banias, it's because it was Panias. Under the Roman Emperor, Empire, Augustus Caesar eventually gave this area to Herod the Great, who later on turned it to his son. And this is why there was a temple dedicated to Augustus Caesar. Right there as well. So in short, Caesarea Philippi has a very long history of pagan worship, which makes Jesus' message all the more significant. This place was, uh, for the most part avoided by the Jewish people. The Jewish people thought that this cave is the gates of hell, and so much demonic activity there. And no wonder why Jesus later on said to Peter, "...and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church." Remember that right there. So let's read the account. But before we read it, I want you to know that the whole worship of goats and goat-headed and goat-bodied deities was something that existed even way before. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus, it says, "...they shall no more offer their sacrifices And in your poor English." Translation, it says just to demons. But the Hebrew is seirim. Seirim is goats. And so the goat demons, basically. After whom they also have played the harlot. That sexual immorality has always been associated with satanic worship. They always go together. You should have seen in Detroit a few years ago. I've got the video. I won't show it to you. But um, they inaugurated, they unveiled a a satanic um, sculpture. They literally unveiled it and they cried out, hail Satan. And right there, as they unveiled it, two men were kissing during the unveiling. Sexual immorality has always been associated, always been involved, always been injected, always been part of satanic worship, just so you understand. And even here in that verse, we can see that association. So let's go back to Matthew 16, verses 13 to 23. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. Now, it's not a coincidence why they stopped there. Normally, he would teach or stop in places where there's water in those days. You need to stop. You need to rest. You're walking all day long. You need to drink. In those places of rest, he would also teach and he would also ask them questions such as this. And he asked them this, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And all of them are like, oh, well, listen. you know, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets, they, they started debating, yeah, who are you, yeah. this, they, that, I heard someone say this, oh yeah, and I heard someone, and then he said, okay, okay, but who do you, you, my followers, you who followed me for the last year or two, you who, who, who've seen me, who've been with me, you, Who call yourself followers of Christ? Who do you say that I am? All were quiet except of one who, boom, said something that he did not even understand the content thereof. Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Something came out of his mouth. Something that he never heard from anyone before. Something that no rabbi will teach, no synagogue will teach, no uh, group of people will ever talk about. Something that is as far from the Jewish tradition as East from the West. Something that is foreign to the Jewish culture and understanding that the Messiah is God's Son. Although it's biblical, although the book of Proverbs said about who ascended to heaven and descended, what's his name and what's his son's name you shall know. The Bible's talk about, he's talking about the Son of God. The Bible is talking about the Messiah. The Bible is, is is giving us all, but they did not want to deal with that. They were looking forward for a man who will bring peace, prosperity, and freedom from the Roman Empire. And therefore. When Peter said that, it had to have been what—a revelation, because he did not know that. This is why Jesus, the Bible said, answered and said to him, "Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah." By the way, this Simon Bar Jonah, the son of Jonah. I mean, if you think about it, Simon Peter and Jonah had a lot in common. I mean, they all they both wanted to run away from the task to go to the Gentiles and preach, if you understand that, if you remember. But it's interesting. And then he said, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. It's a revelation and this revelation has never been given to you by any living creature. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. You did not hear it from anyone. But, what? My Father who is in heaven, think about it. And, and Peter is like, ooh, me? And then he's looking at all the other po- uh, disciples. <laughs> yeah. And his head, <laughs> so big! And then, after this proclamation and confession that was not given to him by men, but by God, Jesus now feels comfortable. For the first time in his ministry, he is telling them the future of his ministry. And Look what he says. Then, first of all, he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Christ. What is Christ? Christ is is an English word based on the Greek word Christos. The Greek word Christos is the Hebrew word Mashiach, Messiah, anointed one. So basically, Jesus is telling his disciples, don't tell anyone, I am the Messiah. Now you're probably asking yourself, why would he say that? Because they would get it wrong. They'll immediately run to find a crown and tell everyone, this is it. Fight the Romans, we found the king, put him in Jerusalem, he's going to reign and rule. And that's not why he came for. Not only that he told them, tell no one. But look what the Bible says, from that time, Jesus, the Bible says, began, that means he never did it before. He began to show to his disciples that he, what, say that together, he must, not maybe, could be, probably, possibly, he must. Go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the priests and the scribes. And he must be killed and must be raised the third day. And he's telling them that. And they're like, what? And Peter, that Peter with a head that big. He just, three minutes ago. He was sure that he heard from God and and therefore this is the Messiah and yet in his mind he is fixed on what men say that Messiah is. Not what God says that Messiah is. So what is he doing? All of that what Jesus said sounded so... Unrealistic and so unnecessary and such a, a almost shameful and an embarrassment for him. So Peter took Jesus aside and began to what? Rebuke him. The one who just confessed that Jesus is God, son of the living God. That same one is not rebuking him. And look what he says. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. What is he actually saying? You should not suffer. You should not be crucified. You should not die. You should not be buried. You should not resurrect on the third day. Who is interested in that Jesus will not die for our sins? And not resurrect from the dead to defeat sin and death? Who is interested in this? And so Jesus. He did not scream. He did not shout. He did not take something and threw at Peter. And he looked at Peter. At the same Peter that five minutes ago he smiled at and said, blessed are you, Simon. At the same Peter, he looked at him and he said, get behind me, Satan. And then he explained why. You are an offense. Offense to me. Anyone that suggests suggest that Jesus could have avoided his death, that it was an accident, it was an unnecessary thing, that I wish he didn't, that anyone that says that is an offense to Jesus. If you lament the fact that he died for you, and you think that it was unnecessary. And you think, I wish he was still alive. I wish the story was different. You are an offense to him. And he said, why? Because you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Men don't want to deal with sin. Men don't want to even understand that Messiah is connected to the solution for sin. Men only want him as a king coming on a horse to reign and rule. Just like you know all the Christmas stories, all what we have is what? The sticky story of Santa Claus coming and giving you presents. No one talks about why he really came to the world. It's all lovey-dovey, let's hold hands, sing kumbaya, uh, all of this. Every Christmas movie I see, it's stickier than the one before. Or you got your Easter thing of what? Bunnies and eggs? How can egg hunting be anything that has to do with the resurrection of Jesus? I still don't know. But we, men, we love to celebrate things based on the things of men, not on the things of God. Jesus, number one, had to address the false Jewish perception of the Messiah. The Jewish people missed the connection between sin and the Messiah. This is precisely the scheme of the devil. That's why they rejected Jesus. Because, you know, they never had a problem with him as Messiah. They never. Show me one verse where they wanted him dead because he says he's the Messiah. Nowhere. The problem of the Jewish people with him, is when he said that he is God. And the problem of the Jews is that he suggested that God's son had to die. He actually handed himself over. The Jewish people became focused on the things of men in order to become righteous. They thought that righteousness comes out of works. Out of religion, when I came to uh, uh, friends who started telling me about Jesus, and without even accepting him yet. I remember the first thing I did, I started reading the Old Testament. I didn't have a New Testament yet. And I, I remember the, the, the most you know, amazing thing for me was the prophets. The first prophet I read was Isaiah. First chapter, when you come to appear before me. Who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. He said, your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. I you ready? I almost had a heart attack. God just said through the prophet Isaiah that he hates religion he hates religion he hates that they do they do they do they do but iniquity was not dealt with transgression was not dealt with that's why he said there all of these things are trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. He says, When you spread your, your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When, even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And he says, You have to wash yourself, make yourself clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. In other words, you have to repent, you have to understand your, your sinful nature. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressors. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your, if you repent, if you confess, if you then understand your need for a change, then I will forgive you your sins. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He said to the Jewish people, "I hate the religion you turn my word into." By the way, he hates all religions. You think that Catholicism, uh, Catholicism, excuse me, and you think that Orthodox Christianity, and you think that um, uh, some, you know, all Eastern version, all Western, version. you think that any form of religion is accepted by God? Absolutely not. If a person is not born again, he can never enter into the kingdom of God, period. It doesn't matter. You people tell me, I was born a Christian. No one is born a Christian. Not a single person on planet Earth was born a Christian. Why do you say that? It's on my birth certificate. Well, it's wrong. <laughs> you should have said, sinner, born sinner. How can he be born a Christian? Jesus said to Nicodemus, if you remember, you must be born what? again. And Nicodemus who? I must go back to my mother's room. No! The second birth is a spiritual one. One must be born of the water, which is your first, and of the spirit. You cannot be born again upon your birth. Jewish people were attempting to avoid sin by keeping the law, which only led to more hypocrisy. Furthermore, the law was designed to expose their sin and the need for the Messiah. You understand that? When when Jesus had to deal with the woman that was caught in adultery, and everybody raised their stones to stone her, and they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the stone at her first. You're all religious, you want to fulfill the law. Okay, no problem. Any one of you that has no sin, pick up the stone first and throw. They all left. Galatians says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, We are no longer under a tutor, you understand? (laughs) Let no one judge you for food and drinks, or the Sabbath, or new moons and the holidays, for these are the shadow of things to come. Colossians chapter 2 says, but the substance is Christ. Look at me, you see shadow, okay? If I go in the street and the sun is shining, and I put my hand like that, you see a long shadow. And you look at the shadow, and suddenly I appear. Are you going to shake the hands with the shadow or with me? When I appear, will you say hello to the shadow or to me? Well, where Jesus came and he's the substance, and the shadow has been there all along, then now you don't need to talk to the shadow anymore. Yes, the shadow was there to tell you that I'm about to come, that I'm around the corner. Here I am. But then when I'm there, who needs the shadow? Oh, let me look at the shadow. Who? Will you answer me if I talk? No. James says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well, but if you show partiality, you commit sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, is guilty of all. The Old Testament connected sin to the need for the Messiah. Make no mistake. The fact that the Jews don't believe that the first coming was about sin, doesn't mean the Bible didn't say that. It means they never read or believed what the Bible said. If you look at the Passover lamb story in the book of Exodus, you see very, very carefully that Uh, They had to put some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they ate it. And look what he says. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you. In other words, it wasn't when I see the Jews, I will pass. It was when I see the blood. Atonement is in the blood. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. So that's why he had to die as the ultimate sacrifice to bring perfect atonement. Not only that atonement and the and, and, and Messiah were always uh, connected, and sin and the need for Messiah were connected. Even His suffering was described all throughout the Bible. I, I don't have time to read all, but I can tell you Psalm 22 speaks of His suffering. Psalm 38 speaks over his suffering Isaiah 53 Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him as stricken smitten by God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions we were, uh, he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed That's the Old Testament that's the book of Isaiah not just his suffering his death was prophesied also in psalm 31 you can see that in psalm okay 31 you can see that psalm 41 you can see that as well and in psalm 69 you can see that as well and even daniel chapter 9 is speaking of messiah shall be cut off And if that's not enough, even His resurrection was prophesied in the Old Testament. Job chapter 19 is speaking of it. Psalm 16 is speaking of it. Psalm 118 is speaking of it. Isaiah 25 is speaking of it. And this is why when Jesus appeared to the two disciples who went out of Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus, if you remember. They left Jerusalem on Sunday morning. Right after they already heard that He is not in the grave, that the angels said that He is alive. They left Jerusalem and they were angry and confused and mostly sad. And Jesus appears and says, what are those things that you talk to one another and you're so sad? Jesus is looking at two of His own disciples running away from Jerusalem with shame, confusion, and fear and what? And they're sad, He is alive. He is risen. He is walking next to them. And they're sad. And they're telling him how much they're disappointed with Jesus. They're telling Jesus how much they're disappointed. And he's listening and listening. I'll never forget when I was CEO of SAR L Tours um, you can never please everyone. You know that. Well, two years after that, I felt that God is calling me to something else. I stepped down and uh, got back to guiding tours. I'm sitting in the tour guide's room where we wait for the groups to finish their tour in the garden tomb. And all the tour guides are there and just we're all gossiping there. And so I'm sitting there and three tour guides, they have no clue who I am, never seen me. And they gossip on a mirror and trash me like crazy. And I'm sitting there and they talk to me about me. (laughs) And you know what Jesus said to those two disciples after they finished ranting? He said, "O foolish ones and slow of heart." He said to the disciples, "Not to the Romans and not to the Pharisees or the Sadducees, to the disciples," he says, "You're foolish ones and slow of heart to believe that which the prophets have spoken." Every Shabbat you heard the prophets read. You heard Isaiah 53. You heard, you heard all the psalms. In fact, in those days they used to chant psalms and, and learn it by heart and you never believed it and he said ought not the christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning with moses and all the prophets he expounded to them in all scriptures the things concerning you're in the wrong, uh, yeah, expounded to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow, number two, Satan was seeking to prevent the resurrection, <laughs> he wanted Jesus dead, but not resurrect. This should not surprise us, because Satan has been determined to destroy the seed, Christ, since the garden. The first prophecy in the whole Bible was in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, if you remember that, in the garden. he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Women normally don't have seed. Hello? Eggs? Not seed. (laughs) But the seed of the woman is because there was no men, because it was the Holy Spirit, if you know. And that seed of the woman will be the one who is going to bruise that enemy on his head, crush it. This is to put Satan on notice, your end is near. The seed of the woman is going to come and destroy you. And Satan was on a defense from that moment on and he couldn't help it. But he was seeking who is the one. Next chapter, Cain and Abel, he was... Okay, of course, Abel is the good guy, Cain is the bad guy, let's have the good guy killed. First murder, chapter 4. And and when he realized that God starts a new thing with a new nation from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then he told Pharaoh to kill all the Hebrew babies. And when that was not enough, and the Jewish people were dispersed, he told Haman to, to kill all the Jewish people. And if that's not enough, when Jesus was already born, he told Herod to go and kill all the babies from two and below that were born in that area. Satan did not want Jesus to be, to be born, but once he was born, he tried to kill him. But when that didn't work, in his in the ministry of Jesus began to flourish, Satan tried to recruit him. In the desert, 40 days let me show you what I can give you. Ah, hmm. Look, all the kingdoms of the world, I can give it to you, if you join me. Ooh, la, la. I don't know if he had French accent, but I'm, I'm just telling you. When he couldn't recruit him, he sought again to kill him and prevent the resurrection. Matthew 26, Jesus told his disciples, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered." By the way, Jesus he quoted Zechariah. Jesus never quoted the New Testament even once. <laughs> I'll shock you even more. Jesus was not a Christian. Some of you are like, okay, that's too much, it's heresy. How can Christ be a Christian when a Christian is a follower of Christ? Hello? Now, number three, Peter was unknowingly acting as the mouthpiece of Satan. You know how many Christians unknowingly are the mouthpiece of Satan? I get their emails every day. (laughs) And literally, the venom and the poison that they write, It's the mouthpiece of Satan. I can see that. I I, I say, get behind me, Satan. That's not from God. This type of language cannot come from anyone who really professes to be a follower of Christ. You are not a Christian because you raise up your voice when you teach. That's what they tell me. What am I supposed to do? So Peter was unknowingly acting. That's why I'm not a Christian. (laughs) Mark 8. Remember, Peter said the things that are exactly contrary to what God had planned. Satan is not in communication with God. He is in communication with men that are not in communication with God. Men can listen to God if they are in... Have, if they have peace with God after they believe, because what, what's keeping us away from Him? Our sins. But if the sin issue is gone, then now we have peace with God. Now that which was far is now near. We can hear God. Satan cannot. This is why Jesus said in John 14, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me, nothing. Number four, if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, we are still dead in our sins. That's why Satan doesn't want Jesus to be resurrected. This is why Satan told Peter to rebuke Jesus for even mentioning that. You see, a lot of people are telling me, my sins were forgiven because Jesus died for my sins. That's true, but the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that what? God, what? God raised him from the dead. That's when you're saved. It's not enough to believe that he died. In fact, Buddha died. Mohammed died. They all died. One time, I was I took a taxi in in Seattle, and and I talked to the uh, guy that was driving me, and and and. Uh, uh, you know, we talked about Jesus and he said, yeah, I said Jesus was a great teacher, well, Buddha was also, and I said, okay, well, Jesus uh, died for me. Well, Buddha also, I said, Jesus resurrected, that is fixed dollars, please. <laughs> Folks, <laughs> no one can argue with that. 1 Corinthians 15, it, it, you understand, by the way, if, if you, yeah, listen. If you only believe that he died, and you don't believe that he resurrected, then your sins have not been forgiven. You need to understand that. Your religious. Your sins are not... look what he... I'm not saying that. The Bible says that. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still... By the way, the word dead is missing here. I don't know why. I'm sorry. You're dead in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Not falling asleep, they perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ. We are, of all men, the most pitiable. If you live your life, just if you believe in Jesus, just because in this life it makes sense. I want to be a good person, go to church every Sunday. And If you don't understand that your faith in Christ now, it's giving you eternal life. Now our life is so... I walked a month ago into, my, uh, in, into the hotel room of my father-in-law when he joined me to do ministry in, uh, in Sicily, Italy, I found him dead. He didn't show up for breakfast. I suspected something is wrong. I ran, I opened the door, walked into his room. He was there, in bed, not there. His soul went to be with Jesus. His body was still here. And he's buried here, but he's not there yet. I mean, his soul is, in, is with Jesus. You don't know when it's going to happen. Our life here is just, whew, look at you, you've passed your peak. We're spiraling down quickly right now. So a very few of us here in that section are still on their way to reach their peak. The rest of us are dying. And if, the, if you think that believing in Jesus is only for this life, kiss that thought goodbye. If that's what you are, then you better off not call yourself Christians at all. Number five, without the resurrection, Jesus would not have sent the Holy Spirit, our helper and down payment for our salvation. You understand? Jesus said, I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. If someone is not born again, he cannot receive the Holy Spirit. People send me videos of rabbis who said this and said that. You have to listen to this rabbi. He had a revelation. No! I will not listen to anyone who does not have the Holy Spirit in him. Period. And a person who does not believe in Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and a person that does not confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead. He is not a believer. He is not saved. Thus the Holy Spirit is not in him, because the world cannot receive it, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you, as often friends he said. Ephesians says, "...in Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise." Sealed. No person in the Old Testament was sealed. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and it could leave you. It left Saul. David, in fact, when he found out... That somebody found out. (laughs) And in Psalm 51, he says, Please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That's not a prayer of a believer in Jesus. You understand? The Bible says about the Holy Spirit that it is our down payment. You understand? The Bible says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? The Holy Spirit in you is Arabon in Greek, Arabon in Hebrew, guarantee it's a down payment, that's it, it's done, you're saved, and now it's not you who lives, it's Christ who lives in you, and not only that, the price has been fully paid, but you're still in a body that is a tent, not a building, and so you're waiting for the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Number 6, the resurrection of Jesus assures you and me of our resurrection. Why? <laughs> and this is why Satan didn't want Jesus to die so he won't resurrect, so he won't make us able to resurrect as well. Cuz the Bible says, first of all, we identify with his life, suffering and death and resurrection. In Romans says for Whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's the life. Then in the death in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Now we identify with his death. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 22 26, for since by men, Came death, by men also came the resurrection of the dead. for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at His coming. Christ had to be resurrected, He's first, and right after. The second in line to be part of the first resurrection is those who belong to him. When? When he comes back to the cloud to receive us. So without his death and resurrection, we could not be raptured. That's what Satan hates. The blessed hope that we will have shortly a way out of here. The atoning death of Jesus will not come into effect without the resurrection. you understand that? It's important. The resurrection is the key to the concept of the death. The goat or lamb never ever resurrected. The resurrection took away our sins forever. An animal did not. This is why in Hebrews chapter 10 it says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Let's move to number 7. We need to understand who Jesus is and our destiny in Him. That's what Satan doesn't want you. That's why get behind me, Satan. Jesus could see through all of that. I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined, Paul, determined not to know anything among you, except what? Christ? Riding on a horse? reigning from Jerusalem? No! Paul, who held those opinions in the past, understand now, no, I'm not going to be giving you any false idea, false hopes, false uh, perception. Christ and him crucified. He had to die. And if you have a problem with him dead, And then resurrected, you do not understand anything about God's plan. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins, what? According to the scripture. Which scripture, by the way? Old Testament. There was, look, Paul never quoted the New Testament. I told you that. According to scripture. And that he was buried, and then that he rose again the third day, what? According to the Scriptures, this is the Biblical perception of the Messiah, that's what we need to hold on to. We're responsible to know who Jesus is because of what the, world, the Word of God says about him, not what men, books, world, theologians, you know, the Muslims believe he is a prophet. The Jews think he was a nice guy that went wrong. So many people think he's a good teacher, other things, I think they all have something good to say about him. But they don't agree with us that he is the son of the living God who came to die, be buried and resurrect. The most essential thing that the whole Bible was writing on, they don't agree with it. Number 8. The resurrection declares our victory over death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, you see, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hardships will come upon Canada. COVID is a joke compared to what is going to happen to this world. We look, why are you looking at me like that? I'm not making it up. Jesus is the one who said, in this world you will have what? Great prime minister? No. Great government? No. Godly parliament? No. You will have tribulations. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Well, number 9, the resurrection initiates our departure from this world to our heavenly home. Romans 8 is talking about that very much so. But First Peter says, you are chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation is only special. See, that's what the... Satan doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to understand who you are in Christ. Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come. He will transform our what? See? Your body is lowly. Look, I hardly can stand up. And I'm, only, I'm not even 50. Our body is lowly, that it might be conformed into his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself. These are the things of God. And the things of God are directly connected to the perfect will of God in order to accomplish that will. Jesus had to choose to put Satan behind himself. Isaiah 50, For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. John 10, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. I lay down of myself, and I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Jesus did not run the other way when they came to catch him. Look what the Bible says in John 18, "...Jesus therefore, knowing all things that would uh, come upon him, said, He went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered him, those guards who came, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he." Why? Because that's what he came for. He's not running away. He was committed to the will of the Father. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, the shame, and sat down after he was resurrected at the right hand of the throne of God. Part of the package of being a believer is understanding that we live in an evil world. We were not promised a garden of roses, and we can also say, get behind me, Satan, when we see Satan attempting to put us down. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Philippians says, "...not I that I speak in regards to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content." We will have different state in our life, but we need to stay content at all times. Life in this fallen world will never be perfect for the believer. When Satan seeks to remind us of how short you fall, you need to fall back on the promises of God. and I'll conclude with this. Look at the two words that are now on the screen. We know. I want you to say, we know. Let's say, we know. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.4 We know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made by hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as A Rabon, a Rabon guarantee. And while we wait, 2 Corinthians tell us that we are the ambassadors of Christ reconciling the world to himself. And I will conclude with Romans 8, 23-25. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. Adoption, the redemption of what? I told you. Look, you're already redeemed. We have a new heart, new spirit. We're a new creation. We're one new man. We're stuck in this body. And we're waiting for the redemption of our body. For we are saved, for we're saved in this hope. For hope, but hope is that is sin is not hope why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance." Father, we thank you for your word, thank you for your promises. We know that Satan wants to put us down and not understand who we are in Christ, who Christ is for us, and our promises that were made by him to us. Father, we thank you for your word. And the spirit of of truth and promise, the word of promise that we have. And we know that he who promised is faithful. We bless your name this morning. In the name of the Holy One of Israel, Yeshua Mashiach, And all of God's people say, "Amen." Amen.